0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So this is from 1 Samuel 18, uh, verses 1 to 4. So after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robes as he he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And so now we're turning to 1 Samuel 21 to 17. So then David fled From Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why should he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown. Because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked. Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemy to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. And then 1 Samuel 20, 41-42. After the boy had gone, David David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town.
1: Thank you very much, Chloe. Uh, I'm taken over here. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Steve. Uh, I'm married to the lady in the other room called Leanne, and my kids are in the other room watching. So uh, we've done well to have all the, the Wi-Fi last for this time so far. My kids just uh, popped in and asked permission to drop off as I start my talk. I, I don't take that too personally, <laughs> so uh, they're not with us anymore. Let me pray. Uh, I'm going to share my screen, uh, which is hopefully going to bring up uh, PowerPoint. Uh, so let me hopefully just quickly do that and pray. Okay. Uh, right. There we go. Father, we thank you for, as Vaughan was praying earlier, a wonderful day, a beautiful weather. Um, and we thank you that even though we are separated by, um, this virus and we cannot be together to worship and sing your praises. You are still with us and we know that we can be with each other, not just on Zoom, but in spirit, that there's a sense of solidarity and togetherness we can enjoy. And we pray now that Holy Spirit, you'd speak to each of our hearts as we think about this amazing story of David and Jonathan and their friendship. In your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is part three in a series on the life of David. And today we come to the very famous sort of passage around David and Jonathan's um, friendship. And the friendship that David had with Jonathan protected David during times of great insecurity in David's life. Uh, And when there was real hostility in David's life, when life was harsh for David, The friendship with Jonathan provided not just protection, but peace and a moment of kindness in the harsh world. So the story goes something like this. If you're joining us, this is part three of the series. King Saul has been anointed by Samuel back in 1 Samuel chapter nine. Saul is the father of Jonathan. He starts off good does King Saul in chapters 10 to 12, but quickly his inner character flaws mean he unravels and proves himself to be unfit for leadership chapters 13 and 14 whilst externally he's a very impressive man he's crippled by fear and pride which disqualify him from leadership in Israel in chapters 15 and 16 of 1 Samuel God therefore rejects him as king and chooses another to replace him a man after his own heart a man called David the youngest son of a man called Jesse and though he was the youngest and maybe overlooked in the family, he's anointed by Samuel in front of his whole family to be king. And in when in chapter 17, the great giant Goliath, the champion of the Philistines comes to defy Israel and defy their God, Yahweh. And everyone else is trembling in fear. Uh, God gives David the strength to go and face him. And God wins a great battle through uh, David. So as Saul unravels, David rises up. Now, it's with some irony that the narrator of 1 Samuel tells us back in chapter 16 that it is the rejected King Saul who invites the newly anointed King David to come and live with him in the palace. Why? Because Saul ends up becoming a bit psychotic and mentally disturbed, and he needs someone that can play the harp to calm him down and he hears about David. And so without knowing it, the rejected king is inviting the newly anointed king into the palace because he's useful. But this close proximity to David only further reveals Saul's personal, moral and character flaws. Saul could not stand to be in the shadow of David and his jealousy and fear Quickly drove him to malice and murderous thoughts. We discover in the life of Saul that envy is the mother of malice and gives birth to murder. What does this mean for David? Well, it means a few things. Firstly, he's not safe, he's trapped in a palace with a maniac who wants to kill him and throw spears at him. Secondly, He's not safe. He's isolated. He's far from his home. He's far from his family. There's no one to look out for him because he's been brought into the palace. He's not safe. He's isolated and he's vulnerable. Whilst he's the anointed king by Samuel, it was done in private. The public still thinks Saul is king and he is externally. So David has no political power or protection. He's not safe, he's isolated and he's vulnerable. How did God protect David through all that uncertainty, through all that pressure, through all that loss of control? The spiritual friendship of Jonathan. Now, let's think about our own day. We're not being tormented by a power hungry and psychotic king, but are we not being tormented in our own way by an unprecedented and life-threatening pandemic? Are we not going through the same things David went through? Loss of control, uncertainty, setbacks, isolation from loved ones, the challenge of being trapped in our own homes, the feeling that we're not safe in the world and we might catch a virus that might kill us. So what do we need to survive and be protected when the world around us can seem very harsh? Spiritual friendship. Jonathan's friendship sustained David through his harsh and lonely days and so we need great spiritual friends who can sustain us through the harsh and lonely days that we may be going through now or maybe go through in the future. So what do we learn about spiritual friendship? Well we learn three things, the need for friendship, the pathway to friendship and the power for friendship. One of the earliest lessons we learn as we open our Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, is that to be made in the image of God means to be made for community. So in Genesis chapter one, God has made a world that is good and it is so good and everything's good about it. And he constantly tells us it is good. There's no sin. There's no evil present. Everything is good. And then in shocking fashion, the Lord God said it is not good for a man to be alone. It's a perfect world. A perfect paradise. The Garden of Eden has not got sin and Satan and rebellion within it yet. And yet something within this perfect paradise is not good. And here we encounter the first tension in scripture. How can a perfect paradise not be completely good? Answer, Adam was lonely. When God makes us in in his image, we are not able to bear his image. We're not able to reflect him on our own. We are made to reflect God in community. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the divine friendship of eternal love. And so it is not good for man to be alone because we need friends. And with friends and companions and loved ones, we can image God. What does this mean? Listen carefully, really important. It means Adam was lonely, not because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not the result of sin. Every other ache, every other longing that Adam had, the hunger ache, the sickness ache, the guilt ache, the the meaning in life, existential aches all come from sin. But the one ache, which is part of his perfection, was his ache to have companions and friends and not be alone. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy paradise without friends. We cannot enjoy God without friends. We cannot enjoy our joy without friends. Adam had a perfect relationship with God at this stage. There's no problem in his relationship with God and it wasn't good. It wasn't enough. He needed a human companion, someone to love him, someone to know him, someone to strengthen him, someone to protect him, someone to share with him. And so David found that with Jonathan, a spiritual friend. Application one. If you feel lonely right now, if you want friends, if you have an ache to belong to a group where you sort of have an identity in that group, if you long for emotional disclosure and emotional security, you are not weird, you are not dysfunctional, you're fine. In fact, you're demonstrating correctly what it is to be made in the image of God. You're lonely because you're not a tree, you're not a machine, you're a human, and your DNA is, means you need com- community and companionship. Application two. Semi-consciously, we oft, or even consciously, we often say. I don't need friends, I can do it alone. Okay, I need a few connections, but I don't need to let anyone really into my life. I'm gonna be strong enough by myself. You're wrong, you're wrong. You can't, no one can. Maybe people have let you down. Maybe people left town and it feels exhausting to build friendships again. Maybe you're always feeling, I put more into the friendship than I ever get out of the friendship. As a pastor, how many times have I heard that? People are so hurt. I keep giving and I don't get back. Or because you're getting older. And it's harder to make friends or because you've tried and failed and it left you a bit hurt and bruised and you harden to friendship. I mean, I don't need friends. I can do it by myself. I'll I'll keep everyone at a distance. Adam needed Eve. David needed Jonathan. Even the son of man needed 12 friends. God made us for friendship. We cannot be completely happy without friendships. We need someone to know us and to love us. That's how God made us. So whatever you do, particularly during COVID-19, when you're isolated and it is actually quite hard to maintain and keep and certainly build new friendships, we've got to fight. The devil would love to use this time to go, I oh, just do it on your own. You know, don't, don't make the effort. You know, don't phone up that person. Don't initiate. No, we've got to fight for friendships at this time. We've got to work hard at them. We've got to be careful to listen really well. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to navigate through some of the trickinesses of friendship online. Now more than ever, we need to fight for friendship. We need them. It's part of our nature. Deep, secure, vulnerable friendships. So that's the need for friendship. So what are the pathways to friendship? Well, this story of David and Jonathan gives us three pathways. Risk, which entails vulnerability. Constancy. Which entails sacrifice and candor, telling the truth, which entails wounds. Let's go through the three of them risk that entails vulnerability. Think of the risks that David and Jonathan took early on in their friendship. David trusted Jonathan. Now, don't forget, Saul is Jonathan's father. So when David trusted him, he, was, he, he could have been betrayed. Jonathan could have handed him to his father. And Jonathan, trusted David. You know, by siding with David, Jonathan ended up losing his relationship with his father. So he was making a huge cost. There's a great risk there that David could have then turned back on him at some point when he became king. So David is throwing his lot in with Jonathan and Jonathan is throwing his lot in with David. That was risky because they could both be rejected. They could both be let down. They could both be betrayed by the other. They were being vulnerable. They were giving up personal control. They were entrusting themselves to the other. It was risky because it could go wrong and they could both be in very, very deep waters. But that's the only way for real deep friendship to form. You have to take a risk. You have to give up some level of control. You have to let the other person in, right in. Complete emotional disclosure. But here's the challenge, to let someone in opens yourself up to being hurt, doesn't it? You'll have experienced it in friendship at some point. C.S. Lewis put it like this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket and coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, Careless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. But don't many of us not want that vulnerability? We want to protect ourselves. But then we end up in a catch 22. I need, I want deep emotional vulnerability and security that friendship offers, but I don't want to take the risk that's required to get there. At some point, the pathway to friendship, you have to take the risk. Which leads to the second pathway. They have, they have to come together, these pathways. Constancy, which entails sacrifice. Did you hear how many times when Chloe was doing the different readings, that covenant was mentioned between David and Jonathan? A covenant involved promises and solemn commitments. And if you back down on those commitments, there was a price to pay, maybe even with your life. A covenant means you'll say, "I'm going to be constant, and you can hold me to account if I'm not." In, ma- in a marriage covenant, we say, "In sickness and in health, till death us do part." I- I'm going to be—I'm constant now. I'm there for you. And in chapter 20, verse 8, David reminds Jonathan of this covenant as he's being hunted by his father. And he's not sure if Jonathan's going to go with him or not. You know, is, is Jonathan going to back down? He says, As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, like if I break the covenant, then you kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Now, the word for kindness there, you must show kindness, is a very famous Hebrew word, chesed, or chesed which means steadfast love or steadfast kindness. The translators never know how to translate it because it's such a a deep, rich word. Because it carries the idea of love, compassion, and affection alongside reliability, loyalty, or faithfulness. It's not mere love. It's loyal love. It's not mere kindness. It's dependable kindness. It's not merely affection, but affection that is committed. It means a covenant. And it's the covenant with Jonathan that became a bastion of certainty for David, a safe haven in both a dangerous and helter-skelter time. But not just security. It's got that idea of constancy, and, and, but also kindness. In the harsh world that David experienced for, these, for this season of his life, there, were, there was a kindness that God gave him that soothed him, that comforted him in the friendship of Jonathan. I know for my own life, when I've had tough times, when the world has seemed hostile, when the world has seemed harsh, when there's pressures, when I've got maybe people attacking me, or or things have gone wrong, or I've opened myself up and I have been hurt. Deep, good, deep friends, they bring a protection to you, and they bring a kindness into your life, which is needed against the harshness and rawness of the world. Jonathan was constant for David, and he brought a kindness into his life when everything was harsh. But here's the challenge. To be constant for someone else requires huge personal sacrifices. Let me give you an example. As a parent, where you're required to be constantly there for your children, and that constancy curtails personal freedom hugely. If I don't adjust for my children and inhibit my freedoms, my children will be very emotionally unstable as they grow up. They'll be emotionally needy. But if I sacrifice my freedoms, if I inhibit myself to be constant for my children and have to say no to lots of other things because I'm now a parent, my children grow up healthy and with emotional balance. The sacrifice of parenting is the constancy of it. You just have to be there all the time. And so too, friendship, while not at the same level as a, a, a parent and a child, requires constancy. And that constancy, if it's genuine, will have great sacrifices. You'll have to say no to lots of other things to say yes to the constancy that's required of friendship. Yes, you could say, well, I want to be free. I don't want to inhibit myself. But then you'll never form those deep friendships because they require that constancy. We encounter another catch-22. I want their emotional vulnerability. I want the deep friends that know me. I want that clan which I belong to, but I don't want the sacrifices. I don't want to to put myself out and inhibit myself. Well, then no one's gonna entrust themselves to you. They'd be foolish. They'd be foolish to entrust themselves to you and take such a risk if they know you're not constant and you could be here and you could be gone tomorrow. If you wanna be a friend, if you wanna have those friends, people have to know you're sticking around and you're gonna be with them. You're not just gonna be off. Then they will take the risk with you. That's why they come together these these pathways. It's sacrifices around time and money, traveling, career, saying no to other things so you can say yes to the friendship, but not just the practical things. If you become a friend, you're basically saying, I'm willing to take on the emotional burden that you bring into my life. Think of the weight Jonathan must've carried around, the tension he had with his own father, the responsibility he felt towards David because of the covenant he'd made. Jonathan put great limits on his freedom to be constant to David, practical and emotionally. That must've been very costly to him. Are you willing to put some kind of curtail your freedom, inhibit yourself, be constant in the friendships? So those friendships can go deep and be really meaningful. Our culture says, follow your desires, become who you're meant to be. Never turn down an opportunity to progress. Don't let anyone inhibit you. But a problem with that is you'll never end up with good friends because you're never there for people. It's always about you progressing. If you want those deep friendships, you'll have to inhibit yourself. It's another catch 22, which leads us to our third pathway. These pathways all come together, the risk that entails vulnerability, the constancy that entails sacrifice, and that brings the opportunity for the candor, which entails the wounds. Candor is an old-fashioned word and means the quality of being open and honest, frankness. Proverbs 27, which talks lots about friendship. I actually had a a, a lady text me from the 24 hours of prayer, just uh, felt God speaking to her about words particularly. And, and passages that she'd been praying through then turned up the next day to this morning in her personal Bible quiet time and she was really encouraged, but it was all around words and use of words and truthfulness. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, she didn't quote Proverbs, but it was this idea that God's wanting to use our words at this time as a community to be truthful to each other. And um, uh, Proverbs says this, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So the idea here is that, yeah, you can have hidden love, but open rebuke is what really matters. And that brings a wound to your life. But they're the people you can trust. You know, if you think of the story of David and Jonathan and you read it and and you maybe couldn't catch it all. So read it back to yourself, one Samuel. But they're so straight with each other. You know, they're so direct because they have to be. Life is too dangerous. Life is too hostile for, for you know, uh, pleasantries and sentimentality and platitudes around friendship. They need this friendship to hold. They need this friendship to work. They need it to be honest and straight and open and frank. And they need to be able to trust each other. If you want the kind of friendship that will sustain you in all of life, the ups and the downs, the comings and the going, the COVID-19 and all the rest, you need a friend who can rebuke you and give you a wound. It'll wound your pride deeply, but that wounding is a sign that the friendship has got to a depth that it can cope with that wounding. I always remember how Kelsey, who led our call to worship today, expressed this in her story of coming to faith and her reason for being baptized, which was just over 18 months ago now. With permission, I asked her if I could share some of her story again we haven't got the whole story but just a bit of it in her early 20s she started wandering for wandering from God and finding her identity in men and again with permission she said I could share this she says this quote in my 20s I fell in with the wrong crowds wanted to fit in finally had guys pursuing me low self-esteem fell away from God started drinking blacking out partying and slept with men as a result of the drinking would always cry the next day in shame. I believed in God and I knew he wanted better for me, but I didn't understand the concept of grace. I was too guilty to turn to God, which led me to repeat the same patterns of sin and shame. My one Christian friend, Cassie, wrote me an intervention letter. She reminded me that God has so much more in store for me. The creator of the universe wants to know me and that should make me want to stand in awe and amazement rather than searching for that amazement in places it will never fulfill. At first, I was shocked and taken aback. She had invaded my private life and I felt embarrassed and annoyed. But I respected her opinion, trusted her wisdom and over time she led me back to God and to church. You see Kelsey, that's the end of the quotation. Kelsey had a friend, a good friend, who could speak with candor, an intervention letter, she called it. At first, Kelsey wanted to block it, and not let her in. She was offended, there was wounds, I was taken aback. But then she realized that this friend is a good friend and there's wisdom here and I need to listen. We need those friends, friends who've been constant, friends who've been vulnerable with us, friends who've made sacrifices for us and friends that therefore when they speak the truth in love, they write intervention letters, We listen. Do you have anyone in your life that can do that to you now? Can anyone write you an intervention letter who's a Christian and can call you out on things? Are you increasingly giving permission to people in Christ City Church, if you belong to this church, to say, please speak into my life if you think I'm doing something that doesn't honor God? You have to give people that permission. That's part of the friendship growing. And if not, why not? What do you fear? What steps do you need to take to start to open up and let people in? That's the heart of our life groups, by the way. We advertised it for next week, the training. Vulnerability and truth-telling. So look, they're the pathways to spiritual friendship. Risk, which entails vulnerability. Constancy, which entails sacrifice and candor which entails wounds, they all come together. Let me give you four quick applications around selecting or choosing friends uh, from this then. The first thing is you can't have too many friends like this, of this level of friendship. It's impossible to have lots of friends of this level of depth. So Proverbs again, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So notice the distinction between a companion, lots of those but then I need just like one friend that's almost as close, if not closer than my family, sometimes. We live in a time through social media where you can have lots of companions, and you can feel very connected, and actually that is what you are. You're connected, but you're not known. No one knows you. the companion of many, or a, friend, a few friends. Resist the urge of our culture to have hundreds of connections. the expense of making five or ten deep friends. You can't have many. Jesus had twelve. Secondly, these friends therefore take time and intentionality. This friendship doesn't come overnight. It doesn't even come through one shared experience so that may kick it off. You've got to make sacrifices and build time in to develop the friendships. Thirdly, Make friends with people that are older than you. I'd never known this until I read Tim Chester's commentary on, on one Samuel that uh, Jonathan is 30 years old or 27 years older, at least than David. David became king around 30 uh, years old. So Jonathan's around 60 years old. I I always thought they were peers. They're not peers, which makes Jonathan's sacrifices even more remarkable by the way, the older man sacrificing for the younger, But, but, make friends with older people. Seek friendship with people that have different ages and stages of you, particularly the stages just ahead of you. Seek their wisdom, seek their experience. You know, we live in a generational island where we, we, you know, things that are so important to me at my age in 10 years won't be that important. We'll get the advice of someone who's 10 years older, who's not in your generational island to give you the perspective where you have a blind spot. Don't neglect the wisdom of older friends and older people. We need them. Fourth application, can you see how in this passage, singleness and celibacy are a positive, viable option within Christianity? These chapters give us a vision of friendship that we all need, whether we're married or not. Everyone needs these friendships, married and singles. But if you're called to singleness, whether temporarily or for life, you need this vision of friendship to sustain you. These passages show us that men, and of course, women too, can have intimate and affectionate friendship without it becoming sexual. And you can even enter into covenants of friendships. So for those of you that are given the gift of singleness and therefore called to celibacy, whether from your own choice, from your sexual preference, because you're widowed or divorced or for any other reason, you're going to need these friends and you're going to need some of these friends to be married people too, of course, but you're going to need to be more intentional about the selection, investment and prioritization of these friendships. So we've looked at the need for friendship. We're built for it. We can't survive without it. We need those deep emotional, uh, that, that emotional vulnerability that gives us security in a hostile world. The pathways for friendship, the risk that entails vulnerability, the constancy that entails sacrifice, and the candor that entails wounds in our pride. So, finally, the power for friendship. As with every part of scripture, when the ideal is held up, we realize how far short of God's glory we fall. The level of openness, sacrifice, candor risk constancy it reveals the sin in our hearts just as my parenting and has revealed my failures more than my abilities in friendship when we see it held up at this high level in the bible we find i'm too fearful i don't want to let others in and commit like this i'm too proud to open up and admit i can't get through life on my own i'm too selfish to to let others entrust their hearts with me. I know I'm going to fail them. I won't make the sacrifices. I won't be constant. And yet if I, I, if I don't, if I don't open up, if I don't commit to this, then I'm going to have an ache. I'm going to be emotionally vulnerable and I'm not going to be able to make it through the harsh, harsh times of life. So it's this catch 22. How will I ever be the kind of friend and form the kind of friend that we see with David and Jonathan? Did you see how the whole thing started? Did you notice chapter 18, verse four, a remarkable verse. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Who was Jonathan? The rightful heir to the throne, the king in waiting. And as he does that, that is not just because David needs some clothes. That's a symbolic action of saying, I'm giving you the kingship. And who is David? He's a nobody. He's the youngest son of Jesse. And he's not part of the lineage from Saul, the existing king. And when Jesus, the true king, comes into our world, he gives up his right to the throne. And he closes us in righteousness and he crowns us and he exalts us. And when you know Jesus being that Jonathan who gives it all up so you can be exalted and crowned and glorified in him, it gives you the inner fullness to overcome your fear and your pride, to be risky and vulnerable in your relationships because you've been filled up by Jesus. What did it cost Jonathan? To befriend David. Not only did he have to give up the throne. He had to sacrifice his relationship with his father. By siding with Jonathan. By siding with David, excuse me. Jonathan got the wrath of his father. What about Jesus? By siding with us. Sinners, rebels. He got the wrath of his father. And on the cross, what happens? Well, on the cross, your arms are literally forced, open. You couldn't be more vulnerable. And ever, as you extend your arm, you're welcome to those around you and say, come in and love me. And all that happens is Jesus gets beaten to shreds. And we participate in that. We abuse him. We spit on him. We reject him. We're like Peter and Judas that deny and desert him. He's been vulnerable and loving and tender towards us. He's washed our feet. If so That's how the story goes, isn't it, in the New Testament. And then we reject him. Jesus knows the agony of rejected love. He knows what it is to have friends desert him. He knows what it is to have you desert him. Jesus is the true Jonathan who gives up his right to the throne so we can be crowned and exalted, who puts his relationship with his father in jeopardy so he can protect us, who endangers his own life like Jonathan did so we can be secure. And when you know the friendship of Jesus and what it cost him to befriend you, it will protect you, it'll sustain you, it'll give you a peace, and it'll give you that touch of kindness in a world that is often so harsh and hostile. And even if human friends let us down, Jesus never lets us down. He keeps coming. He keeps initiating. He keeps opening himself up. He's committed. His risk, his constancy is beyond anything we deserve. He's going to be there for you. He's going to protect you when, you're sh- when you share your heart with him. He's going to cover your shame when you mess up. And he will love you enough to speak the truth that you don't want to hear. Let the power and the intimacy of friendship with Jesus and the cost and sacrifice that he has shown you in that friendship give you all the power and the inner fullness to take risks and let other people in. He's protecting you to be constant for others and sacrifice for them, particularly in this COVID season. He's there with you. He's going to sustain you and to speak truth to others, take the risk sometimes to speak truth to a good friend and to hear truth back from those good friends. Even though he, though there are wounds, Jesus has done everything to forgive your sin and to restore you to relationship with his father in heaven. So let's pray and let's this week and let's this season of COVID time, think about what it means for us to know Jesus as our friend that enables us to be and receive friendship from others. Uh, We need friends now more than ever during COVID-19. It's a, it's a hostile, harsh world right now. What do we need? Deep spiritual friends. Let's form them. Let's fight for them. Let's go for them. And uh, let's keep going sometimes when friendship can be tough. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this chance to just reflect on uh, the life of David and Jonathan. We thank you, Jesus, that Jonathan is, is a foreshadowing of you, our great friend. The king who gave up the throne in heaven and was, uh, in, you endangered your life. And you lost your relationship with your father for that moment on a cross. You, 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 you receive the full wrath of God so that we can be reconciled. We can be restored. We can be called your friends. And we know that we're your friends because you lay your life down for us. And I pray that as we know deep friendship with you, that that friendship would empower us to be the friends that we need to be to one another. And may during COVID-19, may we as a church discover the power of this vulnerability and truth-telling and constancy in our community. And may new friendships be formed and existing ones be deepened. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.